Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on RCR. Welcome to Monday. It is the 10th of July. And for those of you of a certain generation, this day will forever be remembered as DC Day. The day in 1967 when we changed from pounds, shillings and pence to dollars and cents. I was only 13 when it happened, but I remember the changeover as being very seamless, very simple, very straightforward. That's probably because it was. A pound became two dollars, ten shillings became one dollar, five shillings, fifty cents, two shillings, twenty cents. The only old denominations that didn't convert were a penny and thruppence, but by then they were worthless anyway. I remember the public education campaign being very effective. It was mainly done through television advertising in cartoon form with Mr. Dollar as the star doing the explaining. The whole thing worked a treat. That was the start of the decimalisation or the metrification of New Zealand because within a decade we transferred from miles and yards to kilometres and metres and from tonnes and stones and pounds to tonnes and kilograms and grams and from Fahrenheit to Celsius. And we found those transformations a downside harder than the money one because there was no easy equivalent for comparison. Even now when someone says an old rugby player was a 13-stone prop Ford, it takes a while to work out you're talking about someone who weighs 82.5 kilograms, which is, and probably was then, ludicrously light for a prop Ford. After a while, of course, you just stop thinking in the old units and you talk in metrics, you understand in metrics. But the transformation in weight and distance and temperature reading was never as easy as it was for the money, which happened on this day all those years ago. And then, of course, there is golf. Now, golf is still a game of yards and feet and inches. I don't know why, but I've never missed a two-metre putt. However, I've missed plenty of six-footers. Well, the Greens have put their policies on the table, and you can only admire them for being upfront about them. But like most politicians, they're full of generalisations, headlines and bluster that are really not far removed from some sort of socialist utopia, which you will have realised in the history of the world has never actually existed. We will tax the mega-rich, shouted Madame Davidson yesterday, so that, quote, everyone in Aotearoa will have what they need to have Kai on the table, a safe place to call home and live a good life. We must reduce the outrageous and immoral level of wealth inequality we have in this country. Unquote. I mean, who puts ideas like this in these people's brains? Has she never heard of this thing called personal responsibility? Has she never heard about ambition, about looking after yourself in your pathway through life? The state, with its vast resources and $100 billion income, is there to help out in times of need. That's what Mickey Savage's welfare state was about in 1938. It was never, ever intended as a career. Yet here we are, 85 years later, with 345,000 people on a main benefit. 
That is more than one in 10 of the working age population. So what do the Greens want to do? Make those who work and accumulate some assets hand over a part of that asset base and probably even more of that income so that those on a benefit will have even less incentive to go to work and get ahead in life. Frankly, the Greens policy is nuts. But then, watching the TV coverage of their conference on the news last night, I couldn't get over how many of the delegates were wearing masks. Still, haven't they heard that A, the pandemic is officially over, and B, masks don't really protect you anyway? Maybe, after hearing the stupid anti-progress and lacking in ambition green social policy, many delegates there were just plain embarrassed and wanted to be anonymous in case they were seen in the background on the TV news. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, somehow the country's major telcos have finished up in a stupid social media spat fueled by that rent-a-quote and troublemaker Shanil Lal. The new app Threads had hardly hit the market late last week when this person was on the case. A message went on the app which said, Dear Threaders, can we agree that we won't tolerate TERFs on Threads? They've made the lives of trans people living hell on almost all platforms. Let's not allow their hatred to poison this app too. Requested with love. Unquote. TERFs, by the way, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Now, someone on the Spark social media team, acting I would have thought well beyond their remit, replied, yes, please, wholeheartedly co-signed. And that was followed by the praying hands emoji. Then came one New Zealand, formerly Vodafone, whose social media team replied, quote, we don't want them either. Not welcome here. We stand with you, Spark NZ, and anyone else brave enough to call them out, unquote. So Bob McCroskery uh, from Family First checked in with Spark to make sure the response was genuine, and he had this back. Marina Kotukatoa, we stand by our response to Shanil Lal on threads. We will continue to support the rights of trans and non-binary people, and we are not interested in discussing this further. Thanks. Hmm. My reaction to all this is, what the hell is going on here? Spark and One New Zealand are telcos. They exist to provide telco services, mobile phones, broadband, etc. They're not supposed to be indulging in social engineering or discussions on complicated social issues, especially when, in this case, they're nothing more than a transmission platform for an American-owned app. The second Spark's, uh, Spark response rather, is the most disturbing. The company says it supports the rights of trans and non-binary people. That's good. I can too, but within limits. I cannot allow a trans woman to be in women's sport. I cannot allow a trans woman to use a female changing space at a public swimming pool or gym. But these are emotional discussions, which need a damn sight more nuance than some wokey running the social media accounts from home at the weekend. Management at both companies should be on the case today, but I doubt they will. In the meantime, I hope the customer pushback is significant. The other lesson from all this, Shanil Lal should be just ignored. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. 
That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. The whiff of nepotism is all about at the communications, advertising, PR agency, Tato NZ. It's a company run by the partner and by the brother of the Cabinet Minister, Penny Henare. He is currently the Minister of Forestry, ACC Tourism, Veterans Affairs and Whanau Ora. He is also the Associate Minister of Health, responsible for Maori Health, and he's the Minister for the Environment. Between October of 2021 and March of this year, Manatu Hawara, which is the Maori Health Authority, which Penny Henare would have ministerial authority over, paid $229,000 to a company run by his partner, Sky Kumura, and his twin brother, Tatai. What's more, of the 11 staff listed on the Tato NZ website, there are two Henares and three Kimuras. It looks like a family business, which gets a lot of money from the government where another member of the family is an associate minister inside the cabinet. On top of that, there was another $20,000 Maori health contract in August of last year and another $300,000 from four other government departments, statistics, prevention of family and sexual violence, food safety and lotto. So all up, more than $550,000 worth of work to one agency from government departments or ministries in the last 20 months. Was all this work properly tended for? Does it represent best value for money for the taxpayer? And most significantly, especially in the health contracts, was Penny Henare's conflict of interest properly acknowledged and managed? How can a quarter of a million dollars worth of work on Maori health issues go to a company run by the partner and twin brother of the minister responsible for Maori health issues? This is like the Mahuta issue from earlier all over again. There may be nothing untoward in all this, but was the conflict managed or even recognised? The former Minister of Health, Andrew Little, even said no conflict was ever looked into, despite Henare saying he managed his conflict in accordance with the Cabinet manual. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? To some of your feedback now, which has arrived via inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This from Carolyn. Uh, Hi, Peter. Regarding bank accounts being closed down, the Nigel Farage story, it's already happening here. I wrote a letter to The Sun in Tauranga, which was published, critical of banks and money systems. A few days later, this was early April, I went to get money out of an ATM, about $80, I think it was. I got a message your bank card is not accepted at this ATM. I am with Kiwi Bank. I was using a BNZ ATM. I had used the same ATM only a week before. Anyway, there is more to the story, but I'll leave it there. Just really wanted to say that it is happening here in New Zealand. All right, thank you for that, Carolyn. I'll take your word for it. I suspect there might have been a change of policy around the use of those ATMs, but uh, let me know more if you can. Uh, To the matter of uh, Maori identification and about uh, apparent Maori privileges in health, it's an easy fix, Peter. Everyone self-identifies as Maori, then we will all have the same right. (laughs) Uh, That's a suggestion I've made before myself. Thank you for that. Uh, From Vicky, she says, loving the music and the afternoons, Pete. Very good. Thank you for that. And then 
Regarding my thoughts about uh, changes to the, uh, the school science curriculum or the proposed changes to the school science curriculum, the comments on this pretty much all in one direction. Katrina says it's utter madness. Christopher Beck says it's an old ideology called woke communist idealism. If they taught real history, it failed like it will this time. Darren Brunt says, well, it's just getting worse. Dean says education is way better away from New Zealand leadership. Tony says it's 100% indoctrination. Marion says, I thought it was bad. Seriously, it's beyond ridiculous now. Our future generations are screwed. If this continues, and Anthony writes, oh dear, but the plus side is, hopefully, it is the next straw that breaks the camel's back for parents to look into alternative means of education out and away from state schools. Thank you for your thoughts via text 2057 or to inbox at realitycheck.radio. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Well, the Young Farmer of the Year competition is a national institution, going as it has been now for over half a century, started in 1969. And this past weekend, it provided the first female winner of the competition in the form of Emma Poole, who's a dairy farmer and a vet from Pedongia in Waikato. Uh, she's quite the achiever, this young woman, a qualified vet, a wife and a mother, and a farmer, and a highly competitive one at that at the age of just 28 so congratulations to her, but as I watched the story about her on the news last night, I thought, why is this show not back on live primetime television? Now, those of a certain age might remember the grand final for the Young Farmer of the Year was once a big-time live television event. Seven o'clock on Saturday night on TV1 and a ratings winner. The live show started in 1981. They were an annual event during most of the 1980s and into the 90s. But then TBNZ had new management, which was much more interested in younger urban audiences, which was understandable because that's where the advertising money is. What that supposedly more sophisticated attitude to TV programming meant was that perennial favourites like the Dog Trial Show, A Dog Show and the Young Farmer Final were taken off. Even Country Calendar was under threat for a while. Rural programming just was not cool. Maybe the killer blow, though, was the laconic Clive James uh, taking the mickey out of the Young Farmer final, having a huge, and I always thought, thoroughly ignorant laugh about the winner's cloak of knowledge. Anyway, the live show disappeared from TV1 over a quarter of a century ago, but I reckon it's time to bring it back. The primary industries are recognised as the backbone of our economy still, and reality TV is still in vogue. And surely this is the ultimate and competitive reality TV show. TVNZ has a new board and it's getting a new chief executive this year. They will, of course, have higher priorities than bringing back the Young Farmer final. But you never know where a word in the right person's ear might lead, especially if a young uh, Māori or two can make the grand final. Just saying. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, just over 20 years ago, a fat yarpie ran onto a test rugby field in Durban 
and tried to attack the referee. Richie McCaw led the charge to get him off the field and we thought Richie was a hero again. But yesterday, another All Black captain, Sam Kane, became involved with the ground invader too and finished up having to make a grovelling apology for his actions. To be honest, I thought what Sam Kane did was far from serious. There was a man running around after the match who should not have been there. He could have posed a security threat. Sam Kane decided he would try and do what the security staff hadn't been able to do up until that time. That's try and stop him, hence the attempted foot trip. But somebody must have got to Sam after the match, and so came this profuse apology. He says it was out of character and all that, blah, blah, blah. The concern is that he may have brought the game into disrepute, which is, of course, complete and utter nonsense. He could be said to have been protecting his players, and indeed all the players, who were still milling around on the pitch after the final whistle had blown. Why could that possibly be a code of conduct violation? To me, Sam Kane, frankly, was doing God's work. Pitch invaders are a blight on sport. Security can't always strike early, and any help for them I would have thought is appreciated. As for bringing the game into disrepute, give me a break. Sansa would bring themselves into disrepute if they have a pop at the All Black captain. Now, you may or may not know that for the first time this winter, there is what is known as the Community Pharmacy Minor Ailment Service. Basically, this means that if you have something not too serious wrong with you, like a skin infection or a tummy upset, you can go to the chemist and they can give you some prescription medicine for it without having to go to the doctor to get a script. It's a good idea, except that it discriminates against non-Maori and non-Pacific people aged 14 and over. Yep, that's right. This is a system for Maori and Pacific people, children 14 years of age and under, and those who have community service cards. This is the new health service in action. What's more, there are some parts of the country where this service isn't available to anyone, and those parts of the country include Waikato and Otago. Apparently, they don't have what is known as a persistent system pressure in primary care and in hospital services. Uh, yet a report three days ago said Dunedin Hospital experienced extreme overload more than 30 times last year. So how Dunedin and Otago is not part of this system is frankly beyond comprehension. But it's the race aspect of this policy which is the most disgraceful. The FAQ sheet, the Frequently Asked Questions sheet for the system, identifies who can access this community pharmacy minor ailments service. Non-Maori and non-Pacific adults are not eligible unless they tell the chemist they are Maori or Pacific because according to the FAQs, the pharmacy does not need to verify the patient's ethnicity, which means that anybody could access the service if they had the chutzpah. But this is really out-and-out -out discrimination in favour of Maori and Pacific patients, and don't let anybody tell you anything different. And by the way, don't ask whiteies get scabies or dermatitis or diarrhoea. Just asking... Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.
Well, it was quite the weekend of very good sports results for the teams I like to support. Gee, that was a great start to the season by the All Blacks, wasn't it? To be honest, I didn't think they'd go as well as they did, but it was all based on the Pumas really getting stage fright in the first half. Sure, the All Blacks played really well, but there were some awful defensive mistakes by Argentina and they just kicked away too much possession. What is not mentioned in dispatches afterwards, though, is that the Pumas actually won the second half. Remember, it was 31-0 at halftime, 41-12 at the finish, so 12-10 in the second half to Argentina. Isn't that worth thinking about, seriously? Especially as a whole bunch of Springboks are ready and waiting already in Auckland for the huge test this weekend. As for the Warriors, well, that match on Saturday night suggests they are the real deal. Their place in the playoffs is almost assured. Give them a dry ground and they look like genuine top four contenders, maybe even beyond that. But let's not get too ahead of ourselves, eh? The NRL is a week-to-week proposition. And then there's the Ashes. I stayed up till after midnight last night. I just love the way that England approached the task of the run chase on the fourth day. Plenty of good, aggressive intent and some wonderful shot-making, especially from that young man, Harry Brook. Boy, what a player he is. Just one year into Test cricket, averages over 60 runs per innings already. And there he was on his home ground, anchoring England to a win, which keeps the series alive. Ashes Test cricket. It's still the best cricket there is. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. To some more of your feedback now, which has been received through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057 or indeed via our Facebook page. Uh, This is in regards to Tross Publishing, putting out books challenging the narrative on race relations and the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, I asked uh, why the pushback against this publishing company, and I suggested it's not because it's the real truth, is it? Uh, Steve Rose writes, As a mixed-race person, I can honestly say that one narrative on history reflects one shared perspective, and there are many other perspectives, and only when they are brought together and evaluated does the mud begin to clear a little. Okay, I lived in Serbia, and their telling of their war and NATO intervention is a lot different to NATO's, and so on. USA having the loudest voice and being the bully means we all shut up and let them tell our truth. Indeed, history has many stories to tell, Steve, and there is never, ever, I don't believe, going to be one version of it. Uh, Richard says, great final question, Peter Williams. My question being, it's not because it's the real truth, is it? Uh, Judith writes, gone are the days of fair debating, ridicule and name-calling now. This radio is so refreshing. Thank you for, for that, uh, Judith. And Donald writes, uh, brilliant, Peter. Really concerning that the best way to dismiss conflicting views is to call them racist, which in itself is a national shame from my perspective. Stay cool. Thank you for that, Donald, or you sign yourself as Mac. And on the question of Sweden, as Sweden transitions away from renewable energy sources such as wind and solar, I uh, vouch for their unreliability with my solar panels, and I wonder if we should maybe follow suit with uh, solar and wind. LJ writes, uh, Sweden, Norway and Germany are all moving from net zero 2030 as it's unaffordable. 
the population total of 98.9 million people, nearly 99 million people from the three countries. And Tom says, well, with global geoengineering, they're attempting solar and wind-based power generation is the height of stupidity. Both are unreliable, not enough sunshine, or way too gusty for wind turbines. Just as well, there is nuclear. All of this zero carbon is just a ruse, one meant to get the masses to reinvest in e-vehicles. Neither the roads nor the charging infrastructure uh, are there. All in all, a short-term ploy to get the masses to buy into their own slavery. Thank you for that, Tom. A pretty pessimistic outlook on life. This is RCR. Feedback through inbox at realitycheck.radio. My text is 2057, or you can go to our Facebook page. Well, the ACT Party have decided to reverse a policy they supported when in coalition with National prior to 2017, namely making 17-year-old offenders face the youth court instead of the adult court. So now, according to ACT, a 17-year-old court doing something like um, a ram raid will have to face the consequences of the full adult justice system. Will it make any practical difference? No. Will it deter youth offenders from doing what they do? No. Will it reduce crime? No. But that's not to say it's a bad idea. At its heart, it is pure retail politics from ACT. David Seymour wants to be seen to doing something to stop the outrageous crime wave enveloping and washing over so many parts of the country. A crime wave that just seems to come over us with no consequences. I think even he knows in his heart of hearts that stiffer penalties, or at least the potential for stiffer penalties in the adult court system, will not deter recidivist teenage offenders, especially with a judiciary that is reluctant to lock people up. Because what you can say about putting people in prison is that they are not on the streets committing crime, but we know it's not a long-term solution. That only comes through intense social work at the family level in the parts of the country like South Auckland, which are rife with dysfunctional families who don't care if the 16 and 17-year-olds are running rampant, committing all sorts of crime. This is an issue which will take at least a generation to resolve. And you know what? We've been saying that for two generations. But for the sake of victims and for the sake of the country's reputation, which is important for attracting skilled workers to immigrate here, we have to be seen to be doing something. And putting 17-year-olds into the adult court is at least doing something. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Thank you for your company this afternoon. This is the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on RCR. Correspondence is most welcome on matters discussed today or indeed on any matter, inbox at realitycheck.radio is where you find me, or you can text me to 2057 or try us and find us on Facebook. Have a pleasant evening. We will talk again on Wednesday. This is RCR. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio.
Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now.